You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. When I was a kid, um, this was my Jesus as a kid when I was young. Where is he? Where's Jesus? There he is. That's one. That was, uh, that was my Jesus. And uh, I, like I, I had a pretty good relationship with my dad growing up. So for me, that Jesus was uh, like my dad. Like we played baseball together and, uh, you know, I get a hug every now and again. And, um, but, you know, I was a healthy fear, right, because my dad could also punish me. Uh, and so that's how I felt about Jesus. Jesus was my buddy who loved me, who could also punish me, right? That's kind of the way I, I, I thought. As I got older, I went to another church. This church was a little bit more conservative. And uh, my, my view of Jesus changed from this Jesus to, to this guy. This, this, yeah, that, that Jesus. That Jesus. How many people know this Jesus? How many, people have, how many people have felt this way about Jesus? Thank you. Me and one other person. That's it. Um, and this Jesus was a Jesus, if you were here last week, I talked about right beliefs. This was the Jesus that really loves right beliefs. This is the one that loves what you get right. Make sure it's all right. Make sure you don't mess up um, because this Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to kick some butt when he comes back, right? He's going to separate us. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and you better not be a goat, right, when the time comes. And so this Jesus was love, but don't forget this Jesus is also truth because this Jesus loves you up until the time where you're not doing what you should be doing any longer. And then that sword, yeah, that sword is, you're in trouble. Um, and that's the Jesus I thought of. I actually left uh, Christianity over this Jesus. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it any longer. And so uh, for about seven years, I didn't go to church. I didn't want anything to do with it. Then I met uh, my, my girlfriend who became my wife. And she said, um, I won't date you unless you go to church. And I was like, fine. So I went to church. And uh, when I got to church, uh, my view of Jesus changed. And my, my view of Jesus became this, this guy. Um, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> And it was like, no, Jesus isn't angry. Jesus doesn't have a sword. Jesus loves me. And so really anything goes because this Jesus loves me. It doesn't matter what to think. It doesn't matter what to believe. Like this Jesus says it's all good. And so what I realized that I was doing is I was taking one fundamentalist Jesus and I was trading it in for another fundamentalist Jesus, just like a super like liberal fundamentalist Jesus that didn't care about anything. And I was like, that sort of doesn't work for me either because I think spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, those are important things. They're incredible. And, and um, uh, so there's got to be more than just Buddy Christ over here. Um, there's got to be more than that. And so it set me on a bit of a journey to figure out who Jesus was for me, right? And what I started to realize is that Jesus was two things. Just, there's a Jesus I believe in. There's a Jesus that I follow. Jesus I believe, Jesus I follow. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I was far more interested in the Jesus I believe in. Far more interested. If you grew up in church... Um, then there's this passage that we learn right away, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him. So you could say it with more excitement if you want. That's good news. So, right, should not, so whoever believes in him. So it's all about belief. So what I realized as I was growing up is that I wasn't necessarily following Jesus, even though the New Testament talks more about following Jesus than it does about believing. I was believing, and my beliefs looked like um, almost like an icon or some sort of statue. So like these Jesuses I sort of held up here, and I said, that's the Jesus that I like. Those are the ideals I like, but I'm not following that Jesus. And this is what we do. We treat Jesus like a statue or an icon when we just believe. So think about like the Lincoln Memorial. Who's been to the Lincoln Memorial before? Yeah, you get there, and you're like, this is amazing. 
there's Abraham Lincoln, right? He was a good president, free the slaves. But how many of us would actually put ourselves in a position, in a tense position, to make an unpopular decision that would drastically change humanity forever? Because that's what it would mean to follow Abraham Lincoln. No. We just get out our iPhones and we're like, Abraham Lincoln did it. Like, you know, so we, we like to believe, but we don't like to follow. So when I, I, I believed in Jesus, but I didn't like to, to follow Jesus. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about who Jesus is for our church. I want to talk about the fact that there is belief, but belief can't be by itself. We actually have to follow Jesus as well. And what will that look like for us? What does it look like for us individually? What does it look like for us as a church? Okay, you, you, you down to do this with me? Good, thank you. Come on, let's get right. Okay, so we're going to do this. So um, here's what I want you to do. You have pieces of paper on your seats. I want you to take that paper. I want you to take that pen. I want you to write down questions that you guys have about what I'm saying. Okay, we're going to answer all these questions next week uh, in our service. Uh, We've had some great ones already. Thank you so much for putting them in. And when you're done, when you write down your question, you can just throw it in this basket when you come up to take communion later. And like I said, we're going to do our best to answer as many of these as possible next week. Okay, also remember, I, it's my job to study and think about who Jesus is in my life, right? Um, a lot of people uh, will, will say, well, Jonathan said it, so I should just believe it. And I said it in 27 minutes, right? And so what I want you guys to do is let this be the beginning of your journey, Don't let 27 minutes here be the end of your journey, okay? Let this be the beginning. Make sure you have time to talk about this with other people. We're going to set up, um, we have small groups. We're also going to set up some some nights at our office, uh, our WeWork office in Manhattan, just to get people together to talk about a lot of this, just for fun, hang out. So make this the beginning of the journey. Okay, we got it? We good? All right, let's move on. So what do I believe? What do I believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus to me right now at this point? Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is our salvation. What do I mean by that? That's, a, that's sort of a tired word if you grew up in the church. Salvation. What does it mean to have Jesus be my salvation? Uh, if you were here last week, I talked a lot about sin. Okay? I said that we are sinners. I said that we will disrupt the peace that God intends. Right? How many people are disrupting the peace that God intends? Who's doing it right now? Yeah. Um, no, so we will do that, right? That's what sin is, right? And so my understanding of Jesus as salvation has always been that when I sin, God is far away from me. God sees my sin, and God says, I don't like you. I'm separate from you. I'm gonna be over here now. You are away from me, okay? That's the, the, the role that I've always seen God as. God is separate from us. We're in our sin over here. God can't stand the sight of our sin, so, so we need a bridge. And who is that bridge usually? Jesus is usually that bridge. That's the way I've always understood it. As I've gotten older, as I've thought more about this, Jesus looks a lot different to me. Because if you were here last week, I was talking about sin, Adam and Eve sin. And, and who was here last week? When Adam and Eve sinned, did Jesus run off and go away? What, what did, what did, or did God run off and go away? What did God do? He searched for him. God wasn't going, your sin is terrible, this is awful, I'm going over here, I'm separate. God said, where are you? I'm searching for you. I love you. Where are you? And they say, we're naked and ashamed. And he goes, who told you you were naked and ashamed? Who told you that? There's a God who's not separate. 
There's a God who's looking for us. We're the ones hiding. And so what does salvation in Jesus look like? It doesn't look like God over here, we're over here. It looks like God's searching for us, we're hiding. And God goes, I love my humanity so much that there is this Hebrew word, hesed. And hesed means that I bind myself to one law, and that law is I will never, ever let go of my people, my creation. And I love them so much. How do I get them to know that so they'll stop hiding from me? And he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come as man. I'm going to come in human form so they can, show that, so they can see that I'm not separate from them. I actually walk with them. And then we get Jesus, who's the imago Dei, the image of God, walking with us. Not separate, next to us, suffering. Next to us, being oppressed. Next to us, uh, feeling the same pain that we feel. Next, next to us, feeling the same hurt that we feel. Next to us, having the same emotional scars that we have. That's not being separate. And God says, how can I get these people to stop hiding, to come back, to understand that I'm here with my arms wide open? And he goes, I know what I need to do. I'm going to show them that I love them so much that I need to sacrifice myself. I need to sacrifice Jesus. And it's in the sacrifice that they should know that I'm suffering, dying with them. Just like my creation will die, so too I will die. I'm not separate. I'm standing with you. And then how can I show them that I will never again ever, ever think about leaving them? I'm not separate. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be resurrected and my spirit's with them forever. They are never separated from God no matter how far or how wide. That is salvation. That gets us out of hiding. When I was younger, I was taught that God couldn't stand the sight of me and God needed Jesus to change God's mind about me. I would say, no, I'm loved by God. God's my, I'm, I'm God's beloved, and God wants me to partner in everything that God's doing to restore and renew this place, and Jesus is here so that I change my mind about who God is, that I realize I've never been alone. I've never been separate. It's a big switch. It's a big difference, but it's salvation nonetheless. It's salvation because we can come out of hiding. We say, oh my gosh, we are beloved. We are restored. We are renewed. Uh, okay, I'm now compelled to follow. If I'm going to believe this, I'm now compelled to follow this. What does following look like? Who are we following? Who are we following? Are we following thumbs up Jesus? Are we following angry Jesus? What Jesus are we following? Travis Eads, um, he, he did a, a blog post a couple weeks ago. He's, a Manhattan, he's an associate pastor in Manhattan. This is who, he says, this is the Jesus we're following. Jesus was a brown-skinned, Middle Eastern, poor Jewish refugee. His community assumed he was a bastard child. His people lived in fear of a Roman military. His family settled in an insignificant town on the outskirts of the Jewish world. He learned a humble trade, worked in order to help provide for his poor parents at a young age, and then devoted his adult life to everyone in his path who had been marginalized by people in positions of authority. Jesus brought life to those who no one wished to offer life to. And then what Travis did is he dropped the mic because the bottom line is this is the God that we follow. This is the Jesus that we follow. Um, you know what I do in my, in my Christianity? I've realized that as I get older, I've made Jesus in my own image. Anybody else make Jesus in my own image? Or in their own image? It's, it's interesting. Yeah, in my image? Oh, that was a terrible Freudian slip. Um, no, think about it. Like All of a sudden, Jesus wants all the same things that I want. Jesus wants to give me all the blessings that I feel like I've worked really hard for. Uh, when something goes incredibly well, I'm thanking Jesus because it's, it's ultimately Jesus wanted this to happen just like I wanted it to happen. I'm making Jesus in my own image. And the beauty of that is Jesus, God, um, 
hates all the same things I hate. That's pretty exciting. God hates all the people I hate, hates all the political parties I hate. God hates all the, you know, the, the, the terror that I hate. God, God hates the, you know, you name it, God hates it, right? Because I've made God in my own image. And you know what we've done? We have gentrified God. That's what we have done. Gentrify God. God was a brown-skinned refugee, Middle Eastern, oppressed, poor person who gives life and restores people who are in the same place he is in. How many people does he restore? Scripture's amazing. There's lists and lists of people he restores. Um, you guys got to check this list out, and then I want you to go back and, you know, pay attention to the people he restores. These stories are incredible. Um, I'm going to go over all of them right now. This is going to be a four-hour service. Um, actually, I'm only going to go over three. But it, go look at those on your own. He's like, I'm oppressed, and I'm going to restore those who are also oppressed. So he restores a leper. How many people were uh, alive to remember the 80s? remembers the 80s here? A few of us. AIDS in the 80s was a terrible thing. It was awful. People were dying left and right. And not only were people dying left and right, but people uh, who had AIDS were looked on as sinners. You were a sinner. You did the wrong thing. You made terrible choices. That's what people thought in the 80s. I just heard a news report today that said they are able to cure people with HIV now. It's incredible. But back in the 80s, that wasn't the case. That's what the leper was like in the time of Jesus. A leper was someone who was looked upon as having made terrible decisions, someone who wasn't worthy of being loved, someone who must have sinned in a really bad way in order to get there. And so those lepers were shouting, unclean, unclean, and here comes Jesus. And Jesus is like, nah, clean. You're good. Not only are you good, not only are you my beloved, but now you're going to work with me, and we're going to restore and renew this place for what it's always intended to be. This is what I'm doing. This is how we follow. And the question I have for us today is who, who do we look at? Who do we look at and who are we like, I can't. I just can't today. That person hurt me. I just can't today. That person doesn't understand my ideology. I just, I just can't, get, I can't be with that person today because they're so far down the hole in addiction that I can't. I can't. Who are we doing that to? And if we're following, if we're truly following, then we're restoring that person. And I'm not saying we're walking up to somebody who heard us and goes, oh, don't worry about it, you're forgiven, everything's all right. But it's a process. We start the process. We're willing to go through it. That's what it means to follow this Jesus. There was this time uh, that Jesus healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. And if you open up your Bibles, it'll say not to heal your hands, uh, people's hands on the Sabbath. In fact, you weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. Otherwise, God got really mad. Jesus should have known that. He was a Jewish rabbi. But he heals this guy's hand on the Sabbath, and all the preachers come out. Jen Fisher was there. Ben Grace was there. They all come out. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know you just broke the law of our scriptures. And Jesus, I'm not even kidding. I'm paraphrasing. Is basically like, will you shut up? Like, honestly, if your kid fell in a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you go get your kid? And the Pharisees are like, touche. Because what Jesus is showing us is if we're following this Jesus, it means that every single time Jesus is putting the restoration and love of a person before the law, before the letter. Every single time Jesus says this person is way more important than any letter you're reading over here. That's the bottom line. Jesus, this person is way more important than any law that you read. And I have to wonder how many times we sit there and we look in our scriptures, which are, are God-ordained. I talked about this in this. You'll have to go back and listen on, on the internet. But we look in there and we go, I, I can't really love this person fully because of the law, there it is, and I can't do it. How often are we doing that? 
we're following Jesus, then we are putting the restoration and renewal of people before anything that we read, any letter. Who are we doing that to? Finally, there's this tax collector. This tax collector is not like tax collectors here. Like, we don't like the IRS. No offense if you work for the IRS. But this tax collector, like, the only way I can describe it to you is say ISIS takes over America. Takes over America and kills and and kidnaps and, and enslaves a bunch of us. And all of a sudden, your neighbor down the block who was once kidnapped and enslaved with you decides that he pledges his allegiance to ISIS. And ISIS sends him out with a gun and says, you now need to go collect money from everybody. And so our friend, our neighbor, the one we had barbecues with, sat around the pool, had a couple beers. That guy now shows up to your house with a gun. And this guy's like, I need money for ISIS. And you're like, man, what happened to you? We're, we're one and the same. What happened? And he goes, shut up and give me money. Also, I need money for myself, so I'm going to rob you too. If you can understand that, then you understand what a tax collector was in the time of Jesus. It was somebody who was Jewish who basically was a traitor against their Jewish brothers and sisters and decided to start collecting ta- taxes for the Romans, often in, by using violence. That's what we had. Jesus sees this guy, this enemy upon enemies. And he goes, you! And Matthew goes, me? And he goes, yeah, come on, man. And Matthew goes, but I'm a tax collector. He goes, perfect. Come follow me. So Matthew goes becomes a disciple, becomes one of the the leaders in proclaiming Christianity because when you're a follower of Jesus, you find people who are your enemy, who are not like you. Even at this church, I think about our church, we're pretty diverse and yet I still see same socioeconomic groups talking to one another, same ethnicities talking to one another, you know, I mean, same same age groups talking to one another. And here's Jesus grabbing like enemies and being like, you're my best friend now. Like, can we get to a place where we can even follow that way? Or we can start following and saying, look around, everybody here is different, and yet I want to be in community with each and every one of these people because I know that we are all beloved by Christ. That's what it means to follow. Jesus is our salvation. I believe it. And that belief, that good news compels me to follow. And who am I following? I love it so much, I'm going to read it again. A poor minority, brown-skinned, refugee, bastard child who was oppressed. That's who I'm following. That's who we're following. And so where do we go with this poor brown, bastard, refugee child. Where do we go? Well, I want our church, this church, to follow the passionate, controversial, life-giving, sometimes exasperated, always the image of God, Jesus. Which means I got one more story for you. Jesus entered through the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves and said, it is written... My house will not will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. So what went down there? Well, you walk in and there's a wall separating you from the entrance. And at this wall, you would sell your, your unblemished animal. You give it to the priest who was at the wall. And the priest would say, um, oh, your animal actually has a blemish on it. And he'd be like, no, it doesn't. And he'd be like, yes, it does. Don't worry. We have unblemished ones you could buy for five times the price. And so the racket was you would have to buy one of these unblemished ones from the priest. The priest would take the one that you just gave him, the the blemished one, and turn it around and sell it to the next person. Messed up. That's illegal. It's called racketeering, among other things. That's what happened at the first wall. And those people there, they were usually the, the bad ones anyway. They were the, the, the crippled and the ones that, that had leprosy, and they were the tax collectors. They couldn't get in anyway. In fact, by, they were separated from four walls, uh, four walls before they actually got to God. 
The next group of people were only separated by three walls before God, and they were the Gentiles. They were the ones curious about God. They're the ones that were looking for restoration. They're the ones that were looking for hope, but they weren't Jewish, so they couldn't come in, so they were separated from God by three walls in this temple. Next were our Jewish women. Our Jewish women were separated from two walls. They were incredible Jewish women who followed all the laws, but they happened to be born a woman. If you're born a woman, God doesn't want you very close. So they were two walls away. And then the good Jewish men, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the good ones, right, that followed the law. There they were, separated by only one, one wall from Jesus, one wall from God. And in the middle was God. Did you know that God could only um, live in one room? Did you guys know that? I think he lives right here. What do you guys think? Anyway. <laughs> it's okay. You can wake up, everybody. Um... And the holiest of holies, that's where God lived. And in that spot, the high priest could come in only certain times during the year to visit God. He was the only one that had access to God. And I look at what's going on, and I can't help but think that, it, does it look similar today in our church? Is there, are these walls blocking people out? Is, you know, oh, we have the pastor in the middle, and then we have, like, the leaders and the ones who go to church all the time, and then separated by another wall are LGBT people because, you know, they're sort of in, but not really in. And then separated there are women and everybody else, and then over here on the outside are all the people that don't have their lives together. And, uh, you know, they got to get their lives It feels similar sometimes. And Jesus says... This is not my place. In fact, he says, I'm the cornerstone that the builders rejected, and I'm going to destroy this temple. I'm going to destroy it. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. What's the good news of following Jesus Christ? The good news of following Jesus Christ is we finally are not separated any longer. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we have no more walls in front of us. And what does Jesus Christ call us to do? He says, you're my beloved. You're working to restore and renew this place the way I intended it. And I intended it without walls. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to tear down some walls. That is the good news of this gospel. The good news says, I love you enough that I partner with you to tear down walls. Who's the person that's, that's being uh, um, uh, oppressed right now? Let's tear down that wall. They have access to God too. Who's the, who's the person that, yeah, um, you know, they're a little off. They, they don't do the right things, but they're getting there. It doesn't matter. Tear down that wall. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is some guy with a sword is not going to come. He's not coming if we start tearing down these walls. In fact, things get a lot better. For the first time, I believe, when somebody says there's freedom in Jesus Christ, I truly believe there's freedom in Jesus Christ because walls are actually being torn down. People have access. That is our job as a church. I want us to tear down walls. How many people have a friend who is scared to death to set foot in this place? How many people? I got a few. Sometimes I wonder if I even want them to be at church because it still feels like the walls, right? The barriers. But what if as followers of Jesus, we were tearing these down? What if somebody said, I could never go to church because God's a violent God. And you were like, actually, look at Jesus, the one who sacrifices, withholds power. I'm tearing down a wall. I can't go to church. I'm gay. <laughs> Let me tear down that wall for you right away. There it is. It's done. You're welcome. I can't go to church. I'm a different ethnicity. This seems to be a white people church. <laughs> wall down. I can't come to church. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm hurt. Do you know what I did last night? I'm not even going to tell you. And that's where God goes, ah, you, you're perfect. Let's tear down that wall. 
Let's tear it down. This is good news. When people say the good news of the gospel's here, it's not the good news that like, oh, there's a guy who's going to hug you and play catch with you and maybe punish you. It's not the good news that you believed all the right things and so you got separated into the right category and are now going to heaven. It's not the good news that God really doesn't care about you and sort of lets you do whatever you want. The good news is salvation, that God is not separate from us. The good news is that we partner with God to restore and renew and the good news is that we as a church get to tear down walls. Who's with me? All right. Let's begin. Amen.